Welcome to the Sad Songs Podcast, a podcast as sad and surprising as a 50 pence shaped bruise. Today we're going to be talking about the song Katie Song by the Red House Painters, which was released in 1993 and came from the album Red House Painters. It's already been established uh, earlier in the podcast, in episode three, that I have a bit of form for sending people a depressing CD if uh, they go through a breakup. And it was noted that Katie song is one of the songs that appeared on this CD when I sent one to Joe and to Kenneth, probably at approximately the same time. And this isn't because I only know 14 sad songs, nor because this is particularly the saddest song, although I did see in one list of sad songs, it came 95th. So it's maybe got some claim to being one of the saddest songs. But what I think is particularly sad about this song is a structural element to it in which we hear about a certain type of loss. And this certain type of loss occurs in the second verse, in the second half of the second verse. And in it we hear, I know tomorrow you will be somewhere in London living with someone, you've got some kind of family there to turn to, and that's more than I can ever give you. Now, there's a couple of things about this moment which sort of strike me as being relatively strange. The first one is just how vague it is. Somewhere in London, living with someone, it's almost like the details don't matter about what's actually gone on here. And of course, this leads into my second point about this, which is that what's going on here is in fact a kind of structural thing. The the loss that's being felt is this loss of the person moving away from one place and into another place. And it almost doesn't matter what actually happens in that second place. It's the fact that the second place has had this promise of being what wasn't there in the first place. Now, I'm not sure how Mark Kozlek, I think is the way to say that, thinks about London as as an American, but certainly from a kind of northern um English perspective, we can see that there's a certain difference between the North and London, and it's where people go when they don't want to be in the North anymore. There's a certain line in Leotard where he talks about Freud, and he talks about the tensor sign. And when Leotard talks about the tensor sign, what he means is that in some people's unconscious, which uh, for psychoanalysis, psychoanalysts is comprised of a series of interconnected concepts and signs, some of these signs are kind of highly linked and connected to a lot of other signs. And one of these areas in which you can sometimes see the tensor sign is often the name of big cities, London, Paris, something like this. And you can drop these ideas into a song, these signs into a song, and people will take what they want from them. London to one person is not necessarily the same as London to another person, right? I don't particularly like London, so if I hear London in a song, I think, ugh, Joe lives in London, presumably he likes London, therefore he has a more favourable attitude to London, I would guess. So I think this is interesting for the use of this tensor sign at this moment, where sort of London is thrown in to the song as this really meaningful place, which is the other place, somewhere different. Having said that, there are a lot of the other aspects of the song which are sad, right? I mean, the whole song is a song of mourning, a song of something which is over, 
and trying to come to terms with the fact that something's over. And we see some of the things in this. I said in uh, podcast four that I'd speak about mourning and melancholia at some point. We see some of the things Freud thinks goes on in the work of mourning, right? Where you become less interested in the world. You can't get excited about things. Things are dull. Things are boring. And we see this throughout the lyrics in the, the first verse, in the third verse. This sense of kind of hopelessness. I don't know if anyone else sees any hopelessness in this one. Um, I'll let Kenneth go. I think he's about to get some vengeance. No, 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 nothing of the sort. Um, no, I, I agree with, um, with all the points that you raised there, Stephen. Um, it, uh, for me, I always find this one, um, it, it always seems as if this kind of moment in the second verse when he sort of, you know, it becomes clear that he has lost somebody. He's, 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 it's, it's all structured around a loss. But it always seems like as though it's just kind of, almost like the throwaway line in the previous song that we looked at from Whipping Boy, um, you know, as if it's just uh, just one of, of many lines. And it makes me feel as though there is a kind of like a deeper sort of malady here, as if it's not just the immediate response to um, losing someone. Uh, similar to the, to the previous song that we, we talked about last, last time, um, it feels as though um, there is a kind of deeper sense of sort of melancholia that's just uh, melancholia that's all pervasive. Um, I don't feel with this song, I think what, in many ways, I think the sorrow of it is that it's, it seems to um, that there's no progression. It doesn't. The first line is that some escape or some door will open, but it, it doesn't. The music kind of stares at this very kind of numb, uh, sort of quite, I wouldn't say lifeless musically, but sort of lack of sensation, a kind of dull sort of paralysis throughout it um, with this kind of like little um guitar kind of this wonderful kind of edgy guitar sound like kind of little tingling sort of pen pricks or something um like these wicked pinches this this guy's feeling um so it it, it i'm not sure it, if it for me it does seem like mourning or or if it is something deeper melancholia um i was just going to say one more thing maybe about this uh the, the sort of the aspect of the tensor sign which you mentioned there yeah that he throws this kind of um line in about london this sign is full of so many different associations for many people. Um, and it, it, this uh, this kind of key line is really, really vague, as if he can't talk about any of the details, as if this sort of persona in the song just can't face the details, as if it's got to be kind of repressed or not talked about. When previously, and sort of after this as well, there's really deeply poetic language with all sorts of details, like little kind of... Uh, um, you know, memories like glass on the pavement under his shoes, and you know, sort of very, very specific poetic imagery. Um, and I think that in a way highlights that contrast that you mentioned before um, about this line in the second verse where it's just, you know, I know tomorrow you'll be living somewhere in London, probably with somebody else. Um, you've got family there, maybe. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a kind of double sense of poignancy. But yeah, I, 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 as well, as Stephen mentioned, um, Morning and Melancholia, and I'm never quite sure what it is with some of these songs. And, I mean, do you want to say a little bit more about the difference, Stephen, I and mean, Freud between Morning and Melancholia? So the, the, the basic process of Morning and Melancholia is yeah. that you have a certain amount of what Freud calls libido, this energy that you can invest in things or ideas in your psyche. And what that libido is invested in is, in a sense, the thing that becomes your ego, your sense of self. So some people's libido can be invested in a hobby, you know, um, something about their life. You know, I'm a 
good runner or I'm a, you know, good carpenter. It can be invested in other people. You know, I'm a good husband or something like this. It can be invested in children. There's lots of different things it can be invested in. And these investments are basically who we, who we are. Now, what happens, Freud says, is that if the objects that you've invested in either go away, die, betray you, become impossible to access anymore, you've got this real problem in the unconscious, which is that they've got all these links, like I said, with the tensor signs. These these concepts are so invested and so linked to so many other things that you're constantly made unhappy by remembering associations and seeing moments which are going to bring you towards this lost concept. Now, the healthy way of dealing with this, Freud calls... The healthy way of dealing with this, Freud calls mourning. And what happens in the work of mourning is that over time, very gradually these links are kind of taken away. So, for example, if someone dies, it might be really difficult to go to the place where they lived. But over time, you will reassociate that place with other things and take it away from that person, right? The, the charge of libido that lies in this interconnection won't be so great. The problem with melancholia, uh, Freud says, is it usually happens a lot quicker. And what happens in melancholia is you tend to be betrayed more than something dies. And the reaction that the psyche has to go through has to be quicker. So the psyche immediately thinks, right, I'm panicking. What what are we going to do here? It brings in this notion that's invested with loads of libido into the ego and part of the conception of self. So what happens in a melancholic state is that the thing which has betrayed you, you kind of take on as an aspect of yourself as an emergency measure. Now, what this practically means is that while in, in the state of mourning, people lose interest in the world, they might lose, hung, you know, they might stop being hungry, they might be withdrawn, they'd be very, very sad, obviously. They won't have this extra aspect that we see in melancholia, which is the sort of self-reproach and a sort of self-hatred. And there's a really interesting example Freud uses where he talks about the wife who says, it must be awful for my husband living with me. And of course, what she really means is it, it's awful for me living with my husband. And this is the sort of key feature of a melancholic rather than a mourning state. It's that in some sense, it's hidden from you and you're, you're, you're criticizing yourself rather than criticizing the thing which has uh, disappeared. I see Russ has got his hand up. So after that long soliloquy, uh, what do you think about this one, Russ? Well, uh, calling back to, uh, well, the, just the sense of loss, mourning, bereavement, and the pervasive nature of that doesn't just happen within this song. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm less familiar with uh, Mark Kozelek, 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 um, in his Red House Painters guise, as I am with uh, um, in Sunkill Moon. And throughout all the songs I've listened to, there is, uh, particularly on the album Benji, um, there's a lot of songs, there's less kind of metaphor. I think in his Sun Kill Moon lyrics, um, but but Benji is all about bereavements. It's very frank um, uh, sort of account of more than one bereavement that uh, that he's had in his life. Um, I guess the difference with Benji is I don't know whether you know it's, it's due to him growing a bit older and, and, and potentially a bit wiser. I don't know, but there's more hope in it. Um, you're right, Steve. I did get a, a sense of hopelessness from this song. Um, however, compared to some of the songs on Benji, um, I can't give specific examples, but it is about bereavement, but it celebrates life 
rather than, you know, talks about the death. Um, whereas this song very much is kind of, you know, um, it's difficult to grasp any sense of hope from it. Um, and I guess Kenneth, you sort of touched on that, you know, there's something sort of more going on. This song is is maybe just kind of a, um, just a part of this guy's sort of, you know, um, further expanse of his psyche. Um, and I guess that kind of touches on what you were talking about in Morning and uh, Melancholia, Steve, is this, this, he's kind of um, taken this into his psyche. This is this is kind of become a part of his character. And then I think you can see that going on into a lot more of his back catalogue. Um, and the other thing sort of that I kind of thought about this, we talked in the last song about sort of... Um, uh, codependent relationships, and this one seems like this guy feels almost dependent upon this this relationship. This uh, sense of loss he has is, you know, it, it's taken part of him with it. Um, without you, what does my life amount to? Is the last line, um, and it's, it's kind of put all of his worth within um, this relationship that is now lost, and and now he feels a sense of uh, of being nothing, of being a no one. Um, and I guess that kind of links with uh, with a little bit what you're saying about um, maybe the melancholia uh, that is kind of taking it into his uh, his ego. I don't know whether that's I've understood that right or not, Steve. But uh, um, it seems to me to be what's happening. It's a great point, Ross. And uh, I mean, I I did think maybe at some point in these podcasts we might talk about one of the Benji songs, maybe something like Carissa. And what you see in that, which is very different to this song, is this really strong sense of ego and self in the singing. And one of the things that always strikes me as, as being a bit strange in Carissa, actually, is how how much of it is kind of boastfulness on, on his part about, um, I'm going to, you know, make you famous and, you know, this is what I do. I'm a great songwriter kind of thing, which always strikes me as a bit of a sort of strange note in what's supposed to be a sort of tribute song to someone to have that sort of self-aggrandizement. But the, the, the building up of the ego is definitely the defense against this kind of thing. You know, the more of a sense of self you have, the more you can ride these knocks and the more that you've invested everything in one or two things, which I guess is something that maybe people do when they're younger, the more it's going to hurt you when one of these things disappears. I can see Kenneth's uh, virtual hand up. What yeah, I mean, just just to basically add to what Russell was saying as well, um, there is, as Russell sort of said, there is that sort of sense of him beating himself up that you were, you were saying was part of melancholia, which, you know, those kind of lines, this is more than I could ever give you. There's like a real kind of sorrow and bitterness in that line as well. And, you know, um, this is more than my life amounts to, or what does my life amount to without you? What does my life amount to? Sort of very, very sort of self-pitying as well. Um, that, that numbness, which is a kind of quality of both, uh, morning and melancholia, um, is really sort of felt, I think, in the line, you know, can't go with my heart because I can't feel what's in it. Um, to me, that always seemed like that was the problem in the relationship rather than as necessarily as a result of it that was probably just an impression that you know i almost arbitrarily formed when i first heard this song um but as stephen said he does have a tradition of giving people sad songs when uh, when he when he thinks they need a good kick when they're down um and mm. i remember when he sent me this song it actually really didn't affect me because it, i always felt like yes i was going through a 
you know, whatever breakup of some sort. But um, it, it just felt like it wasn't really a breakup song, as if um, this, you know, this uh, this guy was in a totally different condition to me. It was more of a kind of almost pathological state of morbidity. And, um, you know, if someone's just been kind of just going through a breakup, they kind of do at least have a sense of, um, you know, what they want. You know, they, they are still connected. They haven't withdrawn the connection yet, the cathexis. Um, but this line always felt to me as though, yeah, this is already there in a sense. Um, but yeah, um, I'd like to hear from, uh, one thing I'd like to hear more of is Russell telling me about codependence because it's something I don't know much about. But before that, I think we need to uh, uh, hear from Joe, who we've kept out of the discussion so far. Sorry, Joe. Yes, Joe, go for it. <clears throat> Hello, lads. So, um, uh, interesting point for me. I had some notes on this song. I have covered them with sad faces again that I've been doodling and some interesting chins I've never, never drawn before, but um, it's, I think this is a, I think this is a great song. It's sort of grown on me over the last sort of week or whatever. Probably not even a week. Is it last few days? Um, <clears throat> I think one of the things I, I've found with it was one, what you were talking about, Steve, the, uh, was it tensor sign? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, and, and this sort of mention of London, I, I always find it interesting in songs like this where there's this sort of, you know, you wouldn't have that in, say, like Grantham, would you, or Norton Disney or somewhere. Like, it's sort of an interesting, like, it has to be somewhere recognisable, and yet it's kind Middlesbrough. of... Middlesbrough. But it's kind of throwaway, isn't it? You know, it's kind of like, it's just a setting for something so the listener can sort of imagine this bleakness going on in London. And Steve, by the way, London's very good, thank you very much. Especially nice at this time of year, but um, so that that's one thing. Another thing I think was the actual. There's a weird sort of change from major to minor key uh, occurs in this um, every now and then, and I'm sure Kenneth, you could probably explain this better than me. But I find that 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 quite interesting. Apart, apart from that, um, I mean, I think the lyrics are great. There's a sort of a lovely sort of bitterness to it and and obviously a, a sadness. Um, and I like the way at the end it just sort of just keeps going. It's like such a long song. It just kind of, it just plows on, doesn't it? And then gradually sort of peters out. But I remember Kenneth, you talking about spaces the other week. And I feel like this is one of those songs where there's this sort of space, that idea of space, like at the end it moves into a different space. And it's possibly a comfortable space, but it's there's an unease. Like it sounds like it could be part of a laid back sort of almost sort of beach vibe song the way it ends. But actually there's a weird sort of unease sort of sifting through it. I don't know if that makes any sense to you guys. Yeah, uh, just just to say, absolutely right, Joe. With that, the, the, I mean, it's like an eight-minute-long song, so it really is, is is a long one, and it's four minutes into it, the, the lyrical content is all, all but done. Um, and from then on, it's just a series of ahs and oohs. Um, mm. But the, the music grows a little bit, but it doesn't really aspire to sort of reach any kind of climax or anything. But you're absolutely right, the music does just kind of drift um, from, from there. But there's a, there's a couple of um, just unusual little interruptions which happen occasionally. Um, as, I don't know, as if that kind of comfort's just been like, it's as if that stage of state of comfort space that he's sort of drawing around himself is just 
sort of breaking apart or he's just questioning it. It's just, just little jolts and knocks, like those changes from major to minor you mentioned as well. Well, has anyone got a final thought on this one? Did you want to me to talk a little bit about codependency? or? Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I, I would like to hear a bit more about it. It's one of those terms that gets used quite a lot, particularly with alcoholic relationships. Well, that, that, that that's just it. And, and I think any kind of relationship one where one person, I guess, um, has an addiction, a behaviour, um, a, a disposition that means they take up more time or take up more, um, they demand more kind of empathy or, or whatever it might be. And then the, the codependent bit is that the other person allows that to happen. Um, so, um, you know, the, the, the behaviours that they do, the, the, whatever it is, even like, you know, within domestic violence, um, you know, domestic abusive relationships, the domestically abused um, may well just tolerate it for, you know, sometimes years and years and years um, because it's part of the relationship. Um, it doesn't, it, it kind of normalises their behaviours and tolerates it to the extent that it's 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 unsaid. Um, so this can sort of perpetuate sort of, you know, in the case of the last song, um, it kind of felt as if, you know, the relationship um, was still being perpetuated despite how unhealthy it seemed through the drinking and the domestic violence. So I guess that, that would be a classic case of codependency. This one I saw more as complete dependency. Um, you know, the... the, 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 the you know, the no sense of self without the other person um, strikes me as being dependent as opposed to codependent necessarily. Yeah, I guess the other person's left and therefore sort of shown their own independence, I guess. Sure, yeah. Are relationships, um, I mean, if a codependent couple do break up, um, you know, if it does come to a head, is that, is that like, is it, is it mega hard for them both to bear? Is it, is it worse than a normal breakup? I, I, th- I think potentially it is, and I guess that's you know very often where um, <laughs> they might come to my attention because um, you know for, for, for the I guess if if we kind of continue with the uh, the, the example of maybe an alcoholic, um, so they've become so dependent on someone tolerating their behaviours when maybe no one else will um, that at the point the relationship ends. Um, I guess they would be in the state that, that Mark Kozelek is in this song, where they, you know, no one else will tolerate my behaviours, so what am I now? Um, and and the other person um, similarly may feel a sense of absolute loss and not knowing what to do because they've lost their purpose in looking after the other the other person. So they their complete lack of role may leave them with a, a huge gulf within their lives that they don't quite know what to fill with. Well, thanks, Russell. That's okay. (laughs) Good work. Thank you all for doing another Sad Songs podcast. Our next song will be Between the Bars by Elliot Smith.